If the resurrection did not happen, then Christianity is completely and utterly false. Welcome to the Ryan Holmes podcast, where our goal is to encourage Christian thinking and Christian living. This is episode number 15. I just want to start by saying thank you for allowing me to take a little bit of a break. We celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving, so for all my um, podcast, sorry, Canadian podcast family, uh, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving for my fans from the rest of the world. Uh, I hope you had a good weekend. Thank you again for giving me a break. I love saying fans from the rest of the world. It sounds like I'm actually somebody, but I'm not. So I just appreciate you guys tuning in and listening, and I'm super thankful for that. And I can't believe that you guys have decided to stick around with me and uh, and pay attention to the subject matter that I'm discussing. And man, I hope today is going to be a another enjoyable episode for you. I have been anticipating this episode ever since... I started the podcast. This is the subject that means the most of most to me out of any subject that I have covered or ever will cover. Sure, it might seem like I am overhyping it a bit to to make an impact, but but I promise, I promise that I'm not. The topic I am covering today is the reason why I consider myself a Christian today. As a matter of fact, the reason why every single Christian is a Christian is squarely based on the topic we're discussing today. So what is the subject that is of utmost importance? It is the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is key to the Christian faith. In fact, the Christian faith is entirely dependent on the resurrection. The significance of this was not lost on Paul as he wrote to the Corinthian believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14, Paul says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Notice what he says to the Christian. If he, speaking of Jesus, is not raised from the dead, then your faith is in vain. It is futile. It is worthless. And we might as well go go home, quit going to church, and just live out our lives. That is the significance of the subject today. If the resurrection did not happen, then Christianity is completely and utterly false. So, here's how we'll structure the episode today. I'm going to share the, the undisputed facts about the events surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection. These are the facts that, whether conservative, liberal, believing, or skeptical scholars, they they all agree on these main facts. We'll lay these facts out, and then we will address all the possible explanations for these facts. Before we get to the facts um, about Jesus, I'd like to first address the question, did Jesus exist? Obviously, nothing else matters in this discussion if Jesus never even existed. So let's explore this for a second. Did Jesus actually exist? So we we spent uh, two full episodes talking about the historicity of the New Testament, but 
For this question today, why don't we look outside of the Bible? Flavius Josephus is a name that you've heard before on this podcast, but you'll hear it over again. Josephus was a Jewish historian between around 37 AD and 100 AD. He became really maybe arguably the greatest Jewish historian of his time. One of the works of Josephus is called The Antiquities of the Jews. It's one of the most well-known of his writings, and in Book 18, Chapter 3 and Section 3, he writes this. At this time, the time of Pilate, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah, concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. Keep it in mind that Josephus is, a, is not a believer, but rather he is Jewish. And that, that wasn't his only mention of Jesus. He also writes this, Festus was now dead, and Albinus was but upon the road. So he, Ananus the high priest, assembled the Sanhedrin of the judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who is called Christ, whose name was James, and some others, or some of his companions. And when he had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. So, at the very least, from these portions, we get a general understanding of Jesus' story, but also that he had a half-brother named James who was martyred for his faith. We don't need to only rely on Josephus, however. There are ten known extra-biblical writers that make reference to Jesus within um, about 150 years of his life. And some examples of these would be um, Celsus, Tacitus, and even the Jewish Talmud. The Jewish Talmud could actually be considered an anti-Christian source. From these extra-biblical sources, we learn the following things about the life of Jesus. There's 12 points here. All right, number one, Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar. Number two, he lived a virtuous life. Number three, he was a wonder worker. Number four, he had a brother named James. Number five, he was acclaimed to be the Messiah. Number six, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Number seven, he was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover. Number eight, darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died. Number nine, his disciples believed he rose from the dead. Number 10, his disciples were willing to die for their belief. Number 11, Christianity spread rapid, rapidly as far as Rome. Number 12, his disciples denied the Roman gods and worshipped Jesus as God. Bart Ehrman, a New Testament scholar and a skeptic, um, probably one of the greatest critics of the Bible today, he has this to say. With respect to Jesus, we have numerous independent accounts of his life, sources that originated in Jesus' native tongue, and that can be dated to within just a year or two of his life. His historical sources like that are pretty astounding for an ancient figure of any kind. The claim that Jesus was simply made up falters on every ground. 
from what we know today, there really aren't any grounds for claiming that Jesus didn't exist. It is an ahistorical, anti-evidence, faith-based position. Again, it is crucial that we address this point since everything we'll now go on to talk about would be irrelevant if Jesus wasn't a real person. So now that uh, we've established that he was a real person, let's look at the major lines of evidence that scholars agree on. Here are the lines of evidence. There are 12. So bear with me. Number one, Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. Number two, he was buried, most likely in a private tomb. Number three, soon afterwards, the disciples were discouraged, bereaved, and despondent, having lost hope. Number four, Jesus' tomb was found empty very soon after his internment. Number five, the disciples had experiences that they they believed were actual appearances of the risen Jesus. Number six, due to these experiences, the disciples' lives were thoroughly transformed. They were even willing to die for their belief. Number seven, the proclamation of the resurrection took place very early from the beginning of church history. Number eight, the disciples' public testimony and preaching of the resurrection took place in the city of Jerusalem, where Jesus had been crucified and buried shortly before. Number nine, the gospel message centered on the preaching of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Number 10, Sunday was the primary day for gathering and worshiping. Number 11, James, the brother of Jesus and a skeptic before this time, was converted when he believed he also saw the risen Jesus. Number 12, just A few years later, Saul of Tarsus, or Paul, became a Christian believer due to an experience that he also believed was an appearance of the risen Jesus. Now that uh, you've heard what these points are, you need to have this question in your mind. What best explains these lines of evidence? What best explains these lines of evidence? Before we continue... I really appreciate you tuning in to this episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, would you please give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and subscribe on whatever listening platform you might be using if it's not Apple Podcasts, and that'll just help boost its reach and visibility. If you wish to financially support the podcast and the work that I'm doing, please visit ryanholmespodcast.locals.com. Not only will you be supporting the podcast, but with Locals, you're actually joining a community, a community of believers who have similar interests to you. You'll receive early access to each episode each week, along with additional perks. Um, And you can subscribe and support what I'm doing um, on the Locals community for just $5 a month. If you're on YouTube, please like the video, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Thanks again. I appreciate all of your support. Okay, so keep the question in your mind. What best explains I said what, very funny there. What best explains the lines of evidence? Now let's look at the, what would be considered the best popular kind of mainstream explanations, explanations for these lines of evidence that would basically be um, kind of beliefs that are, are trying to prove that Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. Okay, so let's kind of um, take a look at these for just a little while. There's six of them. Okay, so let's get through them. Number one would be called the hallucination theory, the hallucination theory. 
Maybe the disciples were simply deceived by hallucinations. After all, sometimes when uh, people are, are so despondent over losing a loved one, they can sometimes have experiences where they honestly believe that they have seen that very loved one. Maybe this is something the disciples experienced. Maybe they sincerely believed that they had seen the risen Jesus, but were actually experiencing hallucinations. Well, let's address the problems with this theory. First of all, hallucinations are not collective experiences. Hallucinations are experienced by individuals, not groups. They are, are very similar to dreams. Dreams are individual experiences that are, are subject to the subconscious of the one dreaming. Now, if I woke up one morning and said to my wife, that was a really great dream we had last night, wasn't it? She would look at me like I was a crazy person. Why? Because people don't dream in groups. It's this same way with it's the same way with hallucinations as well. Even if a group of people all hallucinate, their individual hallucinations will all be different. Keep in mind that Jesus did not appear to just one person at one time. This is another problem for the theory. Jesus appeared 12 separate times to over 500 people over a 40-day period. These settings include him walking, talking, and eating. He was indoors and outdoors. He was seen by men and women. On six of these 12 appearances, Jesus was actually physically touched, and again, he ate real food. The empty tomb also creates a problem for the hallucination theory. If over 500 people experience this collective hallucination, then how do you explain the empty tomb? The Jewish and Roman authorities could have ended Christianity altogether by simply parading Jesus' dead body throughout the streets. But obviously, they couldn't do it because the tomb was actually empty. So, the hallucination theory falls, falls short. Number two, the witnesses went to the wrong tomb. The witnesses went to the wrong tomb. Maybe the disciples genuinely believed that Jesus was risen because they simply went to uh, and mistakenly went to the wrong tomb. Let's address the first problem. If the disciples had gone to the wrong tomb, then again, the Jewish and Roman authorities could have simply paraded Jesus' dead body around the city, proving without a doubt that Jesus was not risen. This theory not only suggests that the disciples didn't know where the right tomb was, but it also suggests that the Jewish and Roman authorities also forgot where the correct one was. This would be highly unlikely due to the fact that the tomb was owned by Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, and the Roman authority had placed two armed guards at the tomb itself. There is another problem with this explanation of the wrong tomb. Even if the disciples did go to the wrong tomb, it doesn't explain the appearances of Jesus. In order to be an explanation worth considering, it has to not only explain the empty tomb, but also the appearances. It is important to be able to explain the appearances if one is skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus, because it isn't the empty tomb that convinced the disciples of Jesus' resurrection. It was the appearances that turned them from scared and skeptical cowards into the greatest peaceful missionary force in history. 
any alternative theory of the resurrection must be able to explain both the empty tomb and the appearances. The wrong tomb theory does not do an adequate job of explaining either, and therefore it falls short. Number three, the swoon theory. The swoon or apparent death theory claims that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, but merely swooned. So Jesus wasn't actually dead when he was laid in the tomb. He somehow recovered from his injuries, escaped the tomb and Roman guard, and then convinced his disciples that he had risen from the dead. Let's break this one down. First of all, we need to fully understand that the Romans were professional executioners. They were barbaric. They had brutally beaten and whipped Jesus to the brink of death. In jest, they cloaked him with a purple robe, fusing the robe to his coagulating blood. They then ripped the robe off of Jesus, again exposing all of those gaping wounds. They forced Jesus to carry the wooden beam to the point where they would eventually drive heavy wrought iron nails through his hands and feet. They raised him up on the cross where he would slowly begin to suffocate. Jesus finally gave up his life, and to ensure that he had indeed died, the Roman executioners drove a spear through his side. Let me ask you a question. Do you honestly believe that Jesus could have survived all of this? It was clear from these events that the eyewitnesses believed that Jesus had died. Also, that the Roman executioners believed, believed they had successfully executed Jesus. And Jesus' death would have been verified by the authorities at that time. The second issue with this theory is that Jesus was embalmed in about 75 pounds of bandages and spices. I highly doubt that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus um, and those embalming Jesus would have gone through that entire process without noticing a living Jesus. The third issue is Jesus being in the tomb for about 36 hours. Even if a living Jesus flew under the radar without a single person noticing, how could he survive after all that time in the tomb? He most certainly would have bled out by then. The fourth issue is uh, that if Jesus did survive and last in the tomb, how then could he have unwrapped his bandages, rolled a two-ton rock from the entrance, and got past the Roman guard, who would have been put to death if a living Jesus got through? Oh, and then gone on to convince the scared skeptical disciples that he had risen from the dead. Does it seem like it's a bit of a stretch? The fifth issue is that the swoon theory cannot explain the bright light appearance Paul experienced, experienced on the road to Damascus. What turned this enemy of Christianity into one of the greatest Christians who ever lived? This certainly was not someone who had simply recovered from his injuries after his crucifixion. So the swoon theory falls short. Number four, the disciples stole the body. The disciples stole the body. This is actually a very early explanation that began to be circulated by the Jewish authorities soon after the tomb was found empty, but has been taken on by many atheists and skeptics alike. There are many questions that arise when we begin to dig into this theory. Uh, for instance, how did the, the disciples get past the Roman guards who were trained to guard the tomb with their lives? 
If Jesus never rose from the dead, then who appeared to Paul, James, and the other eyewitnesses? Did the New Testament writers lie about their conversions too? Did Paul simply make up the evidence found in 1 Corinthians? The list could go on and on. However, this theory ultimately makes one major claim. That claim is a bold one. This theory ultimately suggests that the disciples and the New Testament writers are the deceivers. That they had been engaged in one of the greatest conspiracies in all of human history. But to suggest that the disciples lied about it all doesn't make sense entirely. What were the disciples getting in return if they had been lying about everything that had happened? Well, this is what they got. They got beaten, tortured, and martyred. There aren't many people who would stick to a lie if this would be what they received in return. Even in the face of beatings, even in the face of torture, even in the face of death, the disciples still never recanted what they had come to believe about Jesus' resurrection. So, the disciples stealing the body falls short. Number five, a substitute took Jesus' place on the cross. This is actually the most common position a, uh, a Muslim would take on the crucifixion event. The Quran actually says this explicitly in Surah chapter 4, verses 157 to 158. It says this, They killed him not, nor crucified him, but so it was made to appear to them, and those who differ therein are full of doubts, with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to, fo- conjecture to follow. For of a surety they killed him not. Nay, Allah raised him up unto himself, and Allah is exalted in power wise. So according to the Quran, Jesus was not actually crucified by Allah, uh, sorry, but Allah took him uh, to be with him in heaven, and somebody else was crucified in Jesus' place. The first problem with this assertion is that it comes from a source, the Quran, which is 600 years after the events of Jesus' life. This assertion is not based on any source of evidence. It is simply a blind faith leap. There are many further questions this theory raises. Are we really to believe that all those who witnessed Jesus' death, the disciples, the Roman guards, Pilate, the Jews, Jesus' family, and friends, all were wrong about who was crucified. So essentially, they all had this kind of collective amnesia. If Jesus wasn't killed, then why was the tomb found empty of the one who was killed? Did that person rise from the dead? Are we to believe that all of the non-Christian historians are wrong about the death of Jesus? What are we to make of the Jewish admission of Jesus' death? Was the Talmud mistaken for saying that Jesus was hanged on a tree on the eve of the Passover? We would essentially be dismissing everyone from the first century in order to hold this assertion 600 years after the actual events taken place. And therefore, this falls short. Number six, the disciples' faith led their belief in the resurrection. This theory suggests that after Jesus' death, the disciples made up the resurrection story because they searched the scriptures and found that the per- that persecution and even execution was essentially a part of the job description of a follower of Jesus. 
Sadly, this theory has um, it completely mixed up. After Jesus' death, the disciples were literally hiding out for fear of the Jews. They were scared, skeptical cowards that were unsure of what to do next. It was certainly not their big, bold faith that led them to make up a resurrection story. It wasn't until after the appearances of the resurrected Jesus did that big, bold faith take shape. It was only after the resurrection appearances that they began to boldly proclaim Jesus' resurrection to the world, becoming the most powerful missionary force in history. This faith also caused them to be willing to face persecution and even death without recanting their testimony. If they had made up a story, they certainly wouldn't have all kept to their story. In addition, this theory cannot account for the over 500 additional people who experienced a resurrection appearance of Jesus. It also does not account for the empty tomb, or the Jews' attempt to explain the empty tomb away. The Jews knew that the disciples were claiming the resurrection to be an actual historical event. If the resurrection was made up, why then did the Jewish authorities insist all the way through the second century that the disciples had stolen the body? So at this point, you've you've heard the mainstream alternative theories to the resurrection account of Jesus. We've also seen how deficient they truly are. What I'd like to do quickly is go over the major lines of evidence one more time that scholars all agree on um, that are true about the life of Jesus. Again, here are the lines of evidence. Number one, Jesus died by Roman, Roman crucifixion. Number two, he was buried most likely in a private tomb. Number three, soon afterwards, the disciples were discouraged, bereaved, and despondent, having lost hope. Number four, Jesus' tomb was found empty very soon after his internment. Number five, the disciples had experiences that they believed were actual appearances of the risen Jesus. Number six, due to these experiences, the disciples' lives were thoroughly transformed. They were even willing to die for their belief. Number seven, the proclamation of the resurrection took place very early from the beginning of church history. Number eight, the disciples' public testimony and preaching of the resurrection took place in the city of Jerusalem, where Jesus had been crucified and buried shortly before. Number nine, the gospel message centered on the preaching of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Number ten, Sunday was the primary day for gathering and worshiping. Number eleven, James, the brother of Jesus and a skeptic before this time, was converted when he believed he also saw the risen Jesus. Number 12, just a few years later, Saul of Tarsus, or Paul, became a Christian believer due to an experience that he also believed was an appearance of the risen Jesus. Now, what best explains these agreed-upon facts about Jesus? Is it more likely that Jesus actually did rise from the dead, or is it more likely that one of these alternative theories is true? The best explanation for these lines of evidence is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. I don't have enough faith to believe in one of these poorly crafted and poorly thought out alternative theories because they cannot adequately explain the data. So, Christian, you can have strong confidence that what you've placed your faith in is true. You can be assured that your faith is not empty. It is not in vain. It is not futile. As Paul says that yes, our faith is utterly dependent on Jesus' resurrection. 
and there's no good reason why we should doubt that he did indeed rise from the dead. It is the best explanation of all the evidence we do have. Now I encourage you, go and share this with someone that you know is not a believer or a Christian that just needs some encouragement today. Would you go with confidence knowing that your risen Savior is with you? Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions for me, a thought, a comment, um, even a topic you might want me to discuss in a future episode, please send me an email to ryanholmespodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to visit ryanholmespodcast.locals.com to join our community. I appreciate all of the support. And if you're on the YouTube, please like the video, comment, subscribe, hit the bell, and ultimately please share this with someone and let's encourage others to think about their faith and live it out. See you next week.